0: Today is Monday, July 8th. This is the Daily Perspective from Politics N.C. I'm Kirk Kovac from Raleigh. Thomas is with us from Carborough. Thomas, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, we have a few things going on in the Tar Heel State today. Uh, first and foremost among them, I believe, is the budget, which the House and Senate are going to consider overriding Cooper's veto, of the budget today. And last I checked, it looks like they're coming back at seven tonight. Uh, they're busy right now. I know Tom Tillis is there checking out the old digs. But the big question uh, there, will Democrats be able to stick together and override uh, or prevent the override of the veto? Uh, I'm thinking they will. And uh, I wonder your thoughts on that as well? Given the numbers, it looks like they're going to be able to stick together
1: on this it would seem that way I mean uh, I think they, I, I read that four Democrats voted for the budget but it takes seven to override it Republicans will need another seven Democrats to override it so it seems like they've got a you know a margin of three at, at least and uh, but who knows I mean I know they've been putting a lot of pressure they've been trying to cut deals Republicans have been trying to cut deals with some of the Democrats so maybe they've got something up their sleeve but it but seems to me like they're going to sustain that uh, that veto this go-round.
0: Well, and as as we've mentioned every time we talk about the budget, the big ticket item is the Medicaid expansion, which Governor Cooper and I would guess every Democrat ran on in 2018, uh, Cooper in 16, which has not happened yet. Uh, and I know today you wrote about that a little bit. And I think the, the crux of it is, Online, at least, um, and in the public, we see a lot of arguments against Medicaid expansion from Republicans, uh, even though it seems like everybody else is in favor of it. But if you take a look at some of the suggestions they make about Medicaid expansion and compare it to the numerous studies that have come out from nonpartisan entities uh, that don't really seem to line up with what people say. So could you maybe look at some of the Topics you discussed today and misconceptions about Medicaid expansion.
1: Sure, I, you know it, I wrote the piece mainly after watching a couple of different things. First, on social media, I saw people, Republicans, saying, "Well, it's it it's exploded budgets in states that have accepted Medicaid expansion," and that's just false. That that's not happened. And that's when a lot of those uh, studies. I think Kaiser Foundation has one out that said that um, Brookings has another one out that says that that's not happened. Um, and I, the other thing that I was looking at was an op ed that Berger wrote a couple of weeks ago explaining his opposition to, to Medicaid expansion. And, and it seemed to me like it kind of was predicated on three different ideas. The first is, is that uh, the mo- most of the people that would benefit from Medicaid expansion in North Carolina are, Able, as he put it, able bodied men um, 18 to 50. Well, <laughs> that's that's also could be called the working poor. You know, those are people who don't make enough money to actually buy insurance and yet make too much money to get accepted at, at, into to Medicaid. Right. I, I, yeah. And I, I know some of those people. I know one guy in particular, a friend of mine, who's who is, uh, who's got terminal cancer. And, you know, for, for about two or three months leading up to his diagnosis, he was losing weight, he, he felt bad, but he wouldn't go to the doctor because he didn't have insurance. And this is a guy who worked every day. But, but he, he fell through that gap. And so, you know, it's, it's, it just is uh, it's pretty callous to say, because you don't make enough money, you don't deserve health care, um, whether you're an able-bodied man or not. But um, So that was the one premise. The other thing is that he, he's worried that uh, that the federal government will pick up less coverage of Medicaid than they have now, and he cites the CHIP program, the Children's Health Insurance Program, as having done that, and it costs the state a bunch of money. Well, you know, they don't have that same problem every time they they cut taxes for the for the wealthy and corporations. That's never a consideration for them. It's only a consideration if it's helping people, you know. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that argument. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just felt like um, all of the all of these arguments just don't don't really ring true and then you know finally it's this idea that somehow the uh, affordable care act is is uh failing it, it has not con- it has not reversed the cost uh cost of medical medical costs but but it has slowed the growth dramatically it's also provided a whole lot of people with coverage that didn't have it before and it seems to me we've kind of got like two different issues here, and this is despite a whole bunch of Republicans' attempt at sabotage. The first is, is to make sure everybody's covered. Try to try, do as much as we can to get universal coverage, and then the next thing is to start to figure out how to sharply reduce the, the rising cost of medical uh, or of health care. And, um, you know, ideally they'd be done together, but the first thing we need to do is is get... Uh, all these people covered through Medicaid expansion. You know, the other thing I didn't say in this article, but if it was really hurting states as much as the Republicans are implying that it would hurt North Carolina, 70, over 70% of the states wouldn't have done it. You know, there are more states, there are 14 states left that have not done it. You know, and, and uh, a lot of those states are hardcore Republican states, and they did it because it was good for their citizens. And it's time North Carolina does something that's good for their citizens.
0: Well, another, you know, with those trifecta states, it's, it doesn't have to be a partisan issue. They're able to do it just because it's the right thing and the smart thing to do for them. And you have to wonder, for all of the shortcomings that may be true of uh, the Affordable Care Act, had it actually been given a full chance to be implemented as, as it was meant to be, including with the Medicaid expansion it could be a completely different conversation now but if you if you throw a wrench in something and it doesn't work that doesn't mean the person who made it is at fault you know if, if you try to mess it up uh, so we'll see where things go with that. Um, like I said before we probably will see the Democrats string together enough votes to prevent the override and then It'll be back to the races again to try to figure out what the budget's going to be. But to switch to the United States Senate race in North Carolina on the Democratic side, since last time we spoke, Eric Mansfield had dropped out of the race. And he, I believe, between him and Cal Cunningham were the two top tier candidates. Um, So with Eric Mansfield out, that sort of leaves a, a wide opening for Cal Cunningham, who today came out, has raised oh, about $700,000, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. And your opinion on that was around half a million dollars would demonstrate a, a credible candidacy. And he's exceeded that uh, 200,000 of it, of his own money that he loaned, but still $720,000 is, is uh, quite uh, a fundraising sum at this point, especially compared to the other folks in the race. So what were your thoughts about uh, Mansfield dropping out and, uh, Mr. Cunningham's um, I think fundraising hall so for
1: uh Cunningham must be very happy to see Mansfield get out because I really think that removes a barrier we we still have two other people in the race state senator Erica Smith and um Mecklenburg County Commissioner Trevor Fuller but I, unless those two surprises um I don't think either one of thems put together much of a fundraising effort and and like I've said before you know uh if you can't raise the money you're not going to you're not going to get off the ground, and um, you know Cunningham. I think uh, five hundred thousand dollars is what he raised from people, and then he put two hundred thousand of his own money. He loaned the campaign two hundred thousand dollars. That five hundred thousand, five hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. You know, is it, that that that's enough to catch the attention of a lot of the nationals. It's not enough to wow everybody, and and you know. Have have the national players jump on board, but it's enough to keep their eyes on him. And you know he'll need to show between now and September 30th that he can keep up that momentum and exceed it. Uh, it the bar needs to get higher. You know he needs to be probably needs to be closer to 1.5. Uh, he needs he needs to raise close to a million dollars to really. Uh, keep the momentum going. Um, the the question here is is does anybody else get in? And uh, I heard a I heard a rumor that that Deborah Ross was looking at it. I don't know if that's true or not. But um, if she got in, that would really change the equation dramatically. So we'll we'll see what happens.
0: On the flip side of that, uh, Tom Tillis raised one point one six million dollars in the first quarter, so he still has a primary challenge on his hands. Although uh, Mark Meadows choosing not to run definitely makes things easier for him. Uh, do you think that none uh, that amount for Tom Tillis is a good amount for an incumbent senator? It's okay, you
1: know. Um, there there are people that have raised more than that, but uh, you know he does have a primary, and and that may cool some of at least some of the 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 local folks I, here's the thing i from what i can tell the the republican senate committee is going to get behind him a hundred percent so money's probably not that much of an issue in that primary um they're going to they're going to make sure that he's he's fully funded The question is is can his opponent uh, garland tucker is he either going to put the money in himself or is he going to raise real money it'll be interesting to see what his numbers show up um uh, at I think the fifteenth is the is the deadline for announcing.
0: Right. Well, final thought for uh, the Senate campaign there. Jennifer Duffy from Cook Political Report. Uh, she had the final quote on the News & Observer article and said, the question now for Cunningham is whether it's enough to earn the DSCC's endorsement or whether they will let this play out for another quarter. Do you have any thoughts if DSCC would endorse him at this point or uh, if that would even be ideal?
1: Um, I, I, that's hard to say. Uh, I, You know, I think that uh, – I think they're going to probably watch. I mean, if Ross gets in, it, it makes it very. It'll be very hard if Deborah Ross decided to run again. It'd be very hard for Cunningham to beat her in a primary, and uh, you know they're not going to want to get crosswise with that one. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see if something else. I, I suspect that they will. Uh, they'll give it a little bit more time.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure the next two weeks are still going to be interesting in North Carolina politics, at least while they sort of shake out the rest of this budget. See what happens with that. Uh, Tomorrow when we talk, we will know the results of that veto override and maybe what North Carolina has coming up for it in the near future. Uh, For Politics NC, I'm Kurt Kovac here with Thomas Mills. Thomas, thanks for taking a minute out of your day. Thank you. If you liked our podcast today, be sure to leave a review wherever you listen. Follow us at PoliticsNC on Twitter and like our page on Facebook. Be sure to visit PoliticsNC.com to read the articles we discuss each day and where new articles are posted every morning.